We were reading uh, two weeks ago before Kevin Cavanaugh came from the first letter of Timothy, and there is a verse at the very beginning of the letter, verse 5, where Paul writes and says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's like, not just so that we get, you know, full of head knowledge, but that something changes in us. And he says the goal here is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. How many want that? Amen. I want it. Um, We were talking two weeks ago before Kevin came and spoke about uh, God's promises that we can take to the bank. Um, We were talking about routines and disciplines and habits. And I thought about changing that name to life-giving routines because, of course, there are routines in our lives that can be really dead and death to us, right? There are certain things that are routine that it's like, ah, it's the routine and we need to, you know, sort of be, you know, kind of moved out of that routine. If it's a, if it's a dead routine and we're doing something and we don't know why we're doing it, uh, particularly in terms of things like religious traditions can become dead traditions. And I'm, I want to be careful with that. They don't have to be. Uh, they can be things where if you know why you're doing something like communion, it could be a dead tradition. But if, if it's something that's bringing us into contact with Christ again and again, and it's informing us and it's, it's challenging our faith, building our faith, doing something, then it's not a dead tradition, which, of course, I don't want to be doing dead traditions. I want to, or dead routines, but life-giving ones and spiritual disciplines that actually bring life, bring them on. I want them. I want to be one of those kind of people. I want, how many know that life, you have to have some discipline in life, right? You you know, you got a job, you got to get there at a certain time, enough discipline to get there when they say it starts or what happens, you lose that job. It doesn't last long. Um, you tell your boss, well, I just, you know, I marched to the sound of a different drummer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is called a pink slip. Go start marching. Yeah, the other way. But life is full of discipline, and we need it. We need it. And we need discipline in good things, amen, yeah. in godly things, in things with a vision and a purpose. Uh, Every year, at the start of a year, lots of people determine they're going to get very disciplined. And what is the, and I probably said this a month ago, what's the most common New Year's resolution that you hear of? Lose weight. Lose weight or get in shape. Either, yeah, same thing. Uh, There was a guy, and some of you might remember him. Dave McFarlane was his name. He preached in our church back in Kitsilano many years ago. And then during the COVID season, he he did a a video um, message because he now lives in Ontario. And uh, he sent us a message at the beginning of, I guess it would have been 2021. Uh, So a year after the COVID thing started. And Dave McFarlane... He used to be a competitive rower, 
And so he said that years, he's a few years older than me, but he said back, I don't know, when he was maybe in his 40s or something, he said, I got to get in shape, and he wanted to get in shape again. And so he thought, oh, rowing, I know how to row. And he said, so I, I went out and I bought an expensive rowing machine and had, you know, a vision of me doing that thing and, you know, being in shape like I used to be. And he said, but I just couldn't find the, you know, the sort of discipline, the motivation to kind of start doing that, to sit in that room, and, you know, it's like the legs go and the arms, and, you know, and it's a pretty simple thing, but he was just bored with it and couldn't find the motivation. But Dave, being the guy he is, he says, I did work up a sweat, though, dragging it into the closet. (laughs) It was all the discipline that he could could handle. He couldn't do it. There was another guy in our church many years ago, a guy named Larry. And uh, Larry, he and his wife, at one point, Larry said something about this belt that he got. And, you know, they had those things like the thigh master and all those different kind of workout things that give the illusion of, well, if I get that, getting in shape is just going to be easy. I don't really even have to work. I just, you know, it's the silver bullet. I get that. Well, Larry got some kind of a workout belt. (laughs) I don't know what it was supposed to do, but somehow... He was going to lose weight wearing that belt. <laughs> Larry got the thing, and he's kind of telling me, yeah, I got that belt, and it, 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 shocker here. He says, I got that belt, and it didn't really work. <laughs> His wife chimes in, you only wear it when you're watching TV. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like no matter what it is, you get a gym membership, you get a membership to the greatest gym in the world, it's going to do nothing if you can't, you know, motivate yourself to get, you know, to the gym and go use the equipment there. There is something about discipline. I know last, two weeks ago, we had it up there. Discipline is not a four-letter word. Routine is not a four-letter word. These are things that are a good part of life, and we need them. Uh, So, the word, Timothy, this first letter to Timothy, if you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And just before we read it, I want to give a little bit of context here. Um, This letter is from Paul, of course, to a young disciple of his named Timothy. And many believe that Paul may have led Timothy into a relationship with Christ, that he converted him on on Paul's first missionary journey, which you can find in Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15. And then, uh, because at the beginning of chapter 16, Paul is going on his second missionary journey through the uh, near East and up into, uh, I guess, what would be considered the um, province of Asia Minor, which would be like Turkey and, you know, uh, that kind of region. Paul's going on, a, on his second missionary trip there, and he meets um, Timothy again. And Timothy now accompanies him on his second missionary journey, he begins traveling with uh, Paul and Silas by this point. And um, 
This guy's name, uh, Timothy, you probably know this, Tim, that his name means one who honors God. And uh, the, the name, the, the Greek pronunciation was Timotheus, Theos, God. And uh, the first part of that meant honor, honoring God. So let's hear this as a word to us as people because we all want to be those who honor God. Amen? Amen. I want to be one of those kind of people like this guy. So tell your neighbor, this is for you. This is for you. Okay. To Timothy, to Risha, to Matthew, to everybody who's here. All you God-honoring disciples. He starts out and he, he speaks to Timothy about being nourished on the word. And he's speaking it to him. So let's read it and be nourished by this word. Verse 6. 6 to 16. In pointing out these things to the brothers and sisters, I'll say, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Okay, I want to say that, just because that, I know that doesn't translate well. It, it means the same in some translations. You might have them. It says, um, godless myths and old wives' tales. It's a figure of speech, okay? Now, particularly if you are an older woman, please forgive us. That's what that means. Old wives' tales have nothing to do with them. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, Remember that phrase. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. That could say preaching and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. There are several phrases there, and we're going to come back to them. And I, when we started this a couple weeks ago, I wanted to talk about a number of specific routines. However, that underlying vision and that recognition that we need a fire burning in us 
to discipline ourselves, to do those kind of routines that might seem in the moment like a bit of a drudgery. We need a fire burning to be able to do those things. So, okay. He starts out saying this. Uh, As soon as he has said, in pointing these things out to the people of God, to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, Timothy. Listen. Constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine or teaching which you have been following. You'll be nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. Sound, that's healthy, durable, reliable, sound, true teaching. Not those old wives' tales, but solid, durable Healthy teaching. I love the NASB translation here, though. It says, constantly nourished. There's a word implied there. You'll see it in italics in your Bible, if it's there at all. It's, it's implied, though, that the word nourished has implied in it this word constant nourishment, not just feast and feast or famine. I gorge myself and then, you know, coast for a while. Nope. I mean, it's good to feast, Um, but in terms of the word, we never fast. We only keep eating the word, devouring it, feeding ourselves and nourishing ourselves on this life-giving word. Uh, It's not like in with physical food, we might binge and fast, but not so with God's word. Binge, yes. Feast, uh, yes. But never fast God's word. Nourish yourself and constantly. The old King James translation says, be nourished up. Which, again, includes that thought of be filled up, be nourished up. Like be topped up. Keep there. Keep nourishing yourself constantly, continually. Some translations use the word trained rather than nourished. And it's a valid uh, translation. It works. Be trained on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. But I love that implied aspect of this being something we do constantly, which is like routine. How many people have to, you know, really force themselves to have a routine to eat? Do you really? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. For me, I have to... Discipline myself not to eat at times. Because why? It's so enjoyable. It's so enjoyable. And Okay, okay. Making it routine. Okay, I get it. It is so enjoyable. We eat. Why? Well, because we need strength. We need sustenance. Yes. But we also eat because it's so enjoyable, right? I don't have to be talked into turkey dinner. It's like, I want it. I don't have to be talked into donuts. I don't have to. What was the thing you went looking for today, Nigel? Oh, calzone. I don't have to be talked into having a calzone. It's like, there's calzones here? I'm in. All right? Food is like that. We're ready for it, right? The word, it seems like, oh, to be nourished on the word, I have to be talked into it. Why? Because it's not enjoyable? I guarantee the Holy Spirit will make the word life to us once we know that those words are life. Now, are there times where it's more sort of 
routine and I'm plowing through and I'm not, it's not all just sort of, you know, fireworks and lightning bolts and that. Yes. But there's so many times reading God's word. And I had one of those times this week. I'm reading through the Old Testament again and the book of Deuteronomy is just coming alive. I mean, that's one of those older books and it's like, man, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. It's well, it's because I'm so spiritual. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's full of good things. And it's not like, oh, I've got to be talked into it. Just I need it for strength. Yes, I do, but I, I enjoy it. It's like having good food. It is enjoyable. It's, it's sustenance for our spirit. The spirit made alive by the Holy Spirit needs spiritual sustenance. My old pastor back in Edmonton used to say, he, somebody shared with him a, a, a picture, and he said, inside of us, he said, it's like there's the, the, his name was Brian, the old Brian and the new Brian, and he said, it's like there are two dogs. There's the old nature Brian, and there's the new one. And he said, which one is stronger? The one I feed. And, you know, it's like uh, in Galatians 6, it says that we sow to the flesh, we reap from the flesh destruction. Who wants that? We sow to the spirit, we reap what? Eternal life. We feed our spirit and we get life. We feed our flesh, we get death. That's how it is. So we want to constantly nourish ourselves on the words of the faith and on sound, durable, reliable, healthy, health-giving spiritual food. Amen? Amen. We need God's words in us. Okay. Part of Paul's reason for writing his young apprentice was to, you know, refute this these old wives' tales that weren't rooted in truth. They had just enough truth to bait people and hook people. And he's saying, have nothing to do with them. Put them out. Put, put them out of your head and do so in the church. That's why he's writing to them. Some of these things, they creep in. And it's like this insidious thing that has just enough truth to be attractive. And oh, maybe I should give that a listen. Paul's saying, no, don't. And Timothy, he... He trusts his young apprentice to be able to deal with this issue that's taking place in the church. Instead, he says, discipline yourself. Look at this, verse 7. Have nothing to do with those things. On the other hand, instead of those old wives' tales, he says, verse 7, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, <clears throat> I love the idea of being disciplined. I, again, just don't always have the vision to do it. It depends what it's for. Am I motivated? And you know these stories of someone who commits every thought, every effort of their life to some pursuit. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's their 
um, you know, some craft, you know, some uh, years ago we watched a show about a surgeon, this guy in Texas who was the only surgeon in the world who could do this particular kind of procedure, and he, it was glorious, a lady with this huge cancerous goiter this guy was able to go with that thing and reduce it so that she had some quality of life and I remember just looking at this guy and thinking this guy has given his life to this pursuit that you know very few could come close and nobody else quite like him and he gave life to that woman who who just you know had this huge thing growing on the side of her face and couldn't live a normal life and this guy was able to do that and give it back to her he was disciplined in school he was disciplined to pursue this special um this uh specialty in his field and that kind of discipline and people do it with arts and with as we mentioned even the picture here of piano somebody's doing what would seem like a drudgery to us going over scales going over arpeggios going over these things over and over and over it's like boring eight hours a day but then when they go to play this piece of music that nobody else can play it's like wow they did the time and now they can pull that off with ease and they can they can move people you know you hear somebody really extraordinary and it's like wow that the, that gift is now, it's kind of life-giving because they did, they put in the time. And it's in so many pursuits, so many things like that, technology and, you know, uh, craftsmanship of every kind and languages and that. People discipline themselves so then when it's time, when they're called upon to do something, boom, they can do it. Here Paul says to his young apprentice... And God says to us through him, discipline yourself for the purpose, the goal of godliness. And as I mentioned last week, godliness is an English word. We've, it's a word we've con, you know, contracted down to godliness. It means God-likeness. Discipline yourself for the purpose of God-likeness. I want to be more like Jesus. I, I, I see God. I see who Jesus is in the Word. And I want to be more like Him. I want to address certain things. Tonight in the prayer room, Sharice was praying something when we were first in there. And it was the kind of thing that she wants to be more like Jesus and knows that she, that's going to require God's grace and help and her response to it God's grace is you know his unmerited favor that supernaturally changes me but it won't if I don't cooperate if I resist and so I want to be like him she wants to be like him you want to be like him amen if you want to be like Jesus put your hand up for just a second yeah to respond amen and it's going to take some discipline Paul's saying discipline yourself for the purpose of God-likeness, of becoming more like Him. There's, there's a good vision. If we get a vision of it, it's going to be good for us. We're going to be glad we got that vision and that fire got lit. We want to be more like Jesus. Now in verse 8, he appeals to Timothy and to us by explaining that physical or bodily discipline has limited value. It's, it's valuable, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with staying fit. Of course, it's necessary. I want to be fit. 
But comparatively, the, the, the impact of that is going to be very short-lived. My 70, 80, 90, if I'm really blessed, 100 years compared to eternity, man, that's puny. It's, an, it's so little. It's so little by comparison. And he says, bodily discipline has limited value, but godliness is really advantageous in the here and now and in the hereafter. It's like forever. Paul's takeaway, verses 9 and 10 in here, he says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. His takeaway, trust me in this and fully accept this reality. Fully accept, embrace this reality. That's what we want to do is embrace godly routines, life-giving disciplines. We want to lay hold of them. Fully accept this truth. This is what we, look at verse 10. This is what we labor and strive for. We labor and strive. Is to be like the living God and Savior upon whom our highest hopes are fixed. That's what we labor and strive. Now, we, we have to labor and strive for godliness. Perhaps Paul meant labor and strive in some sort of symbolic way that really isn't as laborious, as challenging as it sounds. Wrong. <laughs> in in reading up on this, the two words used in the Greek New Testament for labor and strive are strong verbs that suggest that godliness deserves the utmost effort in its pursuit. He says labor and strive. That's kind of redundant, right? But he's saying labor, work hard, strive. What's striving? We talked about it back last spring, like in a race, we strive for the finish line. It means we're stretching forward to it. We labor. It's, it, they're strong verbs. Somebody's calling me right now to say, work a little harder, John. Both of these are strong words for us. Our pursuit of being like Christ deserves the highest effort we could possibly make. And it won't happen without effort. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 where Jesus says these words. I've quoted this so many times when praying for somebody who's weighted down with anxiety or depression or something. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's so comforting. And it sounds like a paradox. Oh, then why? Here he's talking all about laboring and striving. I thought, come and we'll find rest. Actually, Pastor Mel used to say to me, he said, as saints, he says, we'll rest in heaven. And he's resting now. He says, we'll, we'll rest in heaven, but while I'm here, I'm going to work. I'm going to work. Now, 
What is that verse talking about? Come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. It's talking about peace. The peace that the world can't give. I'm striving to somehow please God and earn his favor. I can't ever do it. Come to me, Jesus says, and you'll find rest for your soul. It's like, oh, I'm accepted by him because of what he did, not because I'm earning something. However, now, now that we're saved, labor and strive for godliness. Is it a work of God's grace? Yes, it is. But we cooperate with the utmost effort that we can give. Okay, and that's where I want to take this thing today and reinforce what was said two weeks ago. Paul doesn't only appeal to Timothy to do this himself, personally. No, he urges him to prescribe these things and teach these things to the people he's serving in his church. Verse 11. And verse 6 begins with Paul's charging him, point these things out to the brothers and sisters around you. It's Paul's second letter to Timothy. And in, in his second letter, he makes a similar appeal. He says, the things you heard from me and trust them to faithful people who will be able to teach others. Keep passing these things on. This isn't just for you personally. This is for others. So now, here we are. Paul is pushing Timothy, and God is pushing us to work at pursuing him. And be an example, he says. Look at that. Verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. Then the next thing he says, verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness. Don't let them do it. Don't. Don't leave yourself open to someone looking and saying, I have a low view of God because of how I see you live. Remember a couple of weeks ago, actually it's about a month ago now, that Ryan, when he led the service, said, I need to do certain things, not just for me. I need my workplace to see a credible witness for Christ. Yeah. I need my family to see a credible. I need my neighbors to see that. I, I'm doing certain things, not just for me. I've got to do it because I represent Christ. I heard a pastor from Seattle once say, because I sometimes slip up, he said, that's why I don't have a bumper sticker on my car, <laughs> like a fish or something that says, I'm a Christian. <laughs> because every now and then, I do things not me, I'm speaking for him, do things that eh, they could reflect badly on Christ, right? We're called to be an example. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. New Living Translation simply says, be an example of those who believe. We need to be examples of those who believe. Our behavior will reflect value for God or it'll devalue him. In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, be an example. We could stop on each of those things and you know, in that list, perhaps we will another time. But for now, I want to just reemphasize the kind of response required of disciples who want to honor God. 
like Timothy. Show yourself an example. Look at the rest of the verbs that are given here in these these phrases in the rest of this passage. Show yourself an example. Give attention to Scripture. Don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Uh, These are not half-measure kind of things, okay? Uh, Take pains. Be absorbed so that your progress may be evident. Pay close attention to yourself. And then he ends with this. Persevere in these things. Okay, take pains, be absorbed, give attention. Oh, I did that. Well, persevere in it. Keep doing it. Amen? Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep pressing in. Keep pressing on. We need to keep doing those things that are, that are required of us. Now, just in closing, I mentioned some uh, areas. And next week... I will cover these areas. I talked about word. Now, we've, we've talked already this year about having an, uh, a routine of Scripture intake. And I, I use that word because Bible reading could just be that I just read. But Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Like, dig into it. Meditate on the word day and night. Let it sink down into your soul. Memorize it. Know scripture. Uh, Discuss it with one another. We had in our life group on Thursday just some things that came up. And this is one of the things I love about a small group Bible study. Some things were said that it was like, wow, I never saw this in this passage. I love that. Because somebody else sees you know, with, with it from a different vantage point. They, they have a different way of coming at it. And it's like they see things that you don't, you won't. And it's like, oh, I love that. So discuss the word. Talk it over with other people. Pray it. Pray the word. When we're praying the word, we can have faith that God hears it because he's already approved of those words. He's already said, this is truth. This is real. This is true. This is good. So pray the word. All of these things have a Bible routine. Let me ask. We're now a month and a half into the year, almost, month and a third. How has your Bible intake been this year? Do you feel like you're already tapering off, maybe? Or is it staying strong from the start of the year? Do you feel, yeah, good. Do you feel like it's, has it been all good or have there been already those seasons of oh man i'm getting nothing out of it this time anybody be able to admit to that that i read the bible sometimes this year already and it's been kind of a little bit flat yeah have there been good times have there been somewhere it was alive yeah yeah keep up those efforts it won't He won't fail like we were singing. He'll come through. He's put his word in our hands. And he knows it's good for us. He knows we need it. He knows his words are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. That's what it says in Proverbs. Life to those who find them. His words are life. So get them. Keep that routine going. What about prayer? 
How many feel that their prayer life could use some discipline and routine? We're family here. You can say, you need some routine? Good. And I think routine in prayer, not routine prayers, like I'm not, you know, thinking them through, but prayer routine is a good thing. I'll, I'll end with this testimony. Back about uh, maybe I had been a believer for maybe about four years. I was still living in Edmonton with my uh, parents. And uh, there was a prayer uh, teaching out at the time by a guy, um, another Texan, a guy named Larry Lee, and he put out this prayer teaching called could you not tarry one hour? The language is King James language that he used for that passage where Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples, could you not tarry one hour? Couldn't you pray for me, with me for one hour? And Larry Lee went through the Lord's Prayer and he broke it down in a way, taking each part, um, you know, it starts... Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he took that piece and he broke it down and he said, starting in prayer, my routine would be, you're my Father, hallowed be your name. And he went through the different names of God that are in the Bible, that, that in, in the Bible, a name is identity. Yes. So that's why often somebody would name someone a certain thing. Oh, Sarah was laughing when she heard she would have a baby at the age of 90, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. There was an identity there. And so this guy, Larry Lee, went through the names of God and said, pray these names. God is my righteousness. God, my sanctifier. God, my peace. God, who is always with me. God, my healer. God, my provider. God, my banner or victory. God, my shepherd. And he went through these things. And he did that piece. Then, um, your kingdom come, your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. And he took that to show your kingdom, your rule, come in my life. In these areas, my life, my family, my church, my nation, and the world. And he broke it down like that and gave some, some uh, sort of prayer points. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, can we actually ask? Well, that was Jesus who said, pray that way. So I'm praying for the things I need and for what others need. And he went through this, and he went through all of the points in the Lord's Prayer. And I, it was just the right timing. I got that teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and it just gave me enough parameters. I don't mean that... It, it didn't become something that was dull and boring, and every day I prayed just the Lord's Prayer. I took each of those parts, and sometimes, I, I don't, yeah, I'll just say this, with, with no kind of pride, it would sometimes take hours, and I wouldn't even finish the thing, that, the Lord's Prayer, because I would stop on, one of the, on, on the worship part, and it's like I, I would feel like I'm, encountering God, I'm seeing him, and it's like, I didn't even get to pray for all the missionaries around the world or for my family or anything. It's like, so what? I think God 
was able to take care of it. All I got to was, God, you're fantastic. You're my righteousness. And I see it. I understand. And I got a glimpse of him. And, or maybe I got to, you know, one other part and something. I found it, instead of it limiting my prayer life, having a routine and sort of a track, it opened up the universe to me and it was life-giving. And I feel like that's for all of us. You know, I was so young and proud when I was a kid and started playing guitar that I thought, oh, Jimi Hendrix didn't know music theory. I don't want music theory. I'm going to learn like like So stupid thinking that somehow theory was going to limit what I could do. Wrong. No, it, it opens the door up to, oh, there's a whole universe there. What it, it provides, it's like, well, great, that guy didn't have it, but tough. It's like it opens the door to possibilities. It's a good thing. The word and some routine may open up your prayer life to a whole universe of possibilities in terms of encountering God. I feel like that thing, that prayer track that I learned in like the early mid-80s, was really a gift from God. And I still function using a lot of the aspects of that. Not every day. Sometimes it strays. But I, want, I, I say all this to say, get yourself a prayer routine. If you, there are lots of good books. And maybe we'll talk about that on Saturday nights. But if you need... If you need a good book that's got some of those kind of things, come and see me. I read at least one book on prayer every year. Why? Because I need that fire to burn. And and others will see it differently. And I, you know, at least one book on prayer every year to keep my prayer life fresh. So come and see me. I have lots of good ones. Lots of them that'll, yeah, that'll, that'll help you and If you need to talk about that, come and talk to me or talk to somebody else in here that you know is a prayer. There are are people in this church that I really admire because when we get a prayer request in, I send prayer requests to them because I know they won't say, oh, I'll pray about it. And it's like often if you tell me something, can you pray about this? I'm going to pray about it now with you because I will forget. I, I really that that happens, and so there are people in this church that I know will keep praying. They'll pray for things. So let's uh, let's pray tonight and close this. But if you need a prayer routine, I want you to do something about it. Come and see me. Come and get a book. Talk to somebody else. Just say my prayer life needs some fire in it, some fuel. It needs progress.